Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning, church. Today's message is called House Call. We're going to be focusing on the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. So please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be focusing on verses 29 through 31. As we explore this passage, we're going to talk about the scene, we're going to talk about the miracle itself, and we're going to talk about the response. Before we dive into text, please join me in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us this opportunity to fellowship once again together. As we explore your word, Heavenly Father, we ask for your light to show our path so that we may see your truth, so that we can make sure that we are following you and listening to the commands that you have given us. Help us as we search for your truth, as we find these golden nuggets, these precious diamonds that are within your word. Help us to take those truths and apply it into our lives, and help us so that we may go out there with boldness and declare who you are, to declare your truth, to declare your good news, so that those who are out there that are lost may be found, and they may follow you, have a relationship with and be born again. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all your precious gifts that you have given us, all your mercies, all your patience that you share, and that you bestow on us. We pray this in your precious Son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story about four people in the church whose names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. The church had financial responsibilities, and everybody was asked to help. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it. But you know who did it? Nobody. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Then the church grounds needed some work and somebody was asked to help. But somebody got angry because anybody could have done it as well. After all, it was really everybody's job. In the end, the work was given to nobody, and nobody did a fine job. On and on this went. Whenever work had to be done, nobody could always be counted on. Nobody visited the sick, Nobody gave liberally. Nobody shared his faith. In short, nobody was a very faithful member. Finally, the day came when somebody left the church and took anybody and everybody with him. Guess who's left? Nobody. Church, I want us to focus on what it means to serve and how important this is to the Christian life. And as we see in this passage, we're gonna see how service comes to light in this passage we're about to read. So please, again, turn to your Bibles in Mark chapter one, verses 29 through 31. The text reads, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. 
And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and a fever left her, and she waited on them. So the first place that I want to take us to is to the actual scene of this miracle. And again, we're going to go back and we're going to focus on verses 29 and 30 of our passage. Again, I'll read it so we can really focus on the scene. And immediately after they came out from the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So first, some background information that will help us understand the scene a little bit. Simon and Andrew were originally from Bethsaida. We know this from the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, verses 44, it reads, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The fact that we find Andrew and Peter's home now in Capernaum reveals to us that they actually moved their home in order to be where Jesus was setting up his headquarters. Now here we're seeing the dedication of Simon and Andrew. We're seeing the dedication that they're willing to move their whole entire families to be where Jesus is serving so that they themselves can better serve. And this is our first example we're going to get of what it means to be a servant. Okay? When God is calling us to do our service, we must be willing to drop everything and follow Him. If He's leading us in a particular direction, that's what we have to do. If you look throughout Scripture, you're going to see that's constantly what God does. When He calls certain people, many times He takes them from where they are and brings them into another place. Usually that means they have to go through some discomfort because where they are is home. And they feel comfort there. But many times they have to be called out to go somewhere else. We look at the story of Abraham, for example. He had to leave his family's land okay, and go where God had called them. Okay? Noah had to build an ark and go wherever God was going to take him. Okay? God always calls those who are faithful to him to go into many different areas. And we must not be afraid where God calls us. And we must be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes in order to follow him faithfully. We also see from here that Peter is married. Obviously he has a, a mother-in-law. So we see that Paul also confirms this in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, which reads, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And here Cephas is Peter. And it's interesting to note that this was written about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So what do we conclude from this? We conclude that Peter's wife was dedicated to the ministry too. That she was a faithful companion and a fellow worker with Peter. Uh, Clement of Alexandria sheds even more light on Peter's wife, this person who was following Peter and accompanying him in his ministry. He said, Peter and Philip had children and both brought their wives in order that they might act as their assistants in ministering to women at their own homes. By their means, the doctrine of the Lord penetrated without scandal into the privacy of the women's apartments. So here, Philip and Peter, they, brought, they had children and they also brought with them their wives into the ministry. And this caused it whenever a woman had a need, okay? Peter could go there, but he also had his wives with them, his wife with them, and he was able to serve faithfully. And this way there was no scandal going about. And it's, that's why it's so important that in ministry we realize that when a person is called into ministry, that spouse and those children, they're also called to be involved in that ministry life. 
So we really have to focus as a family unit going out there and serving together and following the Lord. We also see that Clement also said that Peter's wife was actually called to martyrdom even before Peter. And he even records Peter's reaction to this. So on seeing that his wife had given her life to the Lord, Peter said that he rejoiced for her calling of laying down her life. Now look at the, the spiritual maturity of Peter at this point when he saw that when his wife laid down his life, and you know that process would have been so painful, this woman who has been faithfully serving with him for 20 plus years, giving up her life, but he knew the reward that she had, and he knew that we, he would see her again. Although uh, celibacy is an option, we can clearly see from Peter's example that it was quite normal for a Christian leader to be married. And we see this also in, of what's written in the requirements of an elder or a pastor um, or an overseer or even a bishop. Those words are actually interchangeably used within the New Testament. And when you look at the requirements, as we see in 1 Timothy, Timothy 3.2, it reads, an, over, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperature, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So we see what it looks like to be a leader, what it looks like to be an overseer, what it looks like to be a pastor of, of a ministry of a church, okay? And that, what was required, was a husband who was faithful to one wife. Also in Titus chapter 1, verse 6, it reads, Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accustomed of despondentization or rebellion. Now this is important here. The reason that it was important that a man of God was had one wife and also had children who were not rebellious and they were actually listening, it was important because that modeled a lot of the behavior of what God was modeling for us. Okay, And it models for us, when you look at a marriage, for example, you see the relationship between the Lord and the church. Okay, So in a marriage, you see that. And, and even when you see the struggles within that, you see the same struggles that happen when the church um, isn't listening to what Jesus is saying and so forth, okay? And we also see that when you're taking care of children, when the children are being rebellious, okay? This is very much like when God is leading his people, but yet the people are being rebellious and how to handle those situations. So that's why it was very important that when a man of God was called to serve in ministry, okay, they had to prove that they could take care of their children and at the same time they could take care of their spouse. And that's why it's important to know that any denomination that basically requires a call for celibacy for certain types of leadership roles and within the church, that is wrong because that goes against what scripture says. Again, it's okay to choose a life of celibacy, okay, but you can't force that on somebody, especially when you see the requirements of what was called to be an elder. And again, that was interchangeably used with uh, pastor and overseer or even a bishop. All those are interchangeably used in the New Testament. Okay, this is what the requirements were calling for. So there's nothing wrong with a person being married. In fact, it's encouraged, especially when you're in a position where you're leading in the way that, for example, Peter was in the New Testament. So again, from this scene, we can also learn some more. We have learned that by Peter's mother-in-law living in Peter's home, it indicates that she was probably a widow at this point. The reason being is because the custom in that day, in first century Judaism, is that the family would take a widowed mother into their home. We also learn, by looking at the other Gospels, that Peter's mother-in-law had a very high fever. 
We see this in Luke chapter 4, verses 38. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. So you see that she was uh, quite sick. And when it says here that she had a high fever, this is actually indicating that she actually had um, a profoundly serious illness. And possibly it was even life-threatening. And that's why Peter makes this distinct. Uh, that's, that's why Luke brings this distinction. And especially we must remember what is Luke's trade. Luke is a physician, and that's why he's bringing this to our attention. That really she was uh, not just like what we would think of somebody just having a high fever, but most likely it was probably a life-threatening fever that she had. And that's why they were calling Jesus urgently to heal her. After looking at the scene, I want us to move now to our next point. I want us to look at the miracle itself. We'll see this in verse 31. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. So we see how immediate the fever left her. The immediacy of this miracle just shows the absolute authority that Jesus displayed. We also saw this last week when we saw how the miracles that he has done basically shows the authority in his teaching. And the week before that, we saw the authority of his teaching. So we're seeing how these miracles that Jesus is doing is really focusing, going always back to the teaching. And that's why it's important for us to always focus on the word of God. And for us, the authority that we have when we do our teaching, when we're going out there to preach the gospel and we're telling other people about Christ, the authority that we have, that we lean on, is the scriptures themselves. Because the scriptures themselves, we know, is the God-breathed word of God. And that's why it's important to distinguish what is our teaching really based on. Is it based on something that we came up with? Are we leaning on our own understandings? Or are we leaning on the Word of God? And we know that the Word of God is faithful because we know that Jesus himself used the Word of God and, and called it the God-breathed Word. Okay, And we saw that he proved his authority by the miracles in which he did and certain miracles that he did that only God could do. Um, next, we'll look at um, the miracle itself the illustration that we can see from the miracle. And, and this is a beautiful part because although it's a, it's, a, it's a quick miracle, there's not a lot of detail given into it, Jesus acts immediately and she's raised up, um, we can learn a lot from this miracle. Um, so we can see that from this miracle, we can see an illustration of salvation. So when we look at ourselves as who we are before we're saved, um, we can say, oh, well, we have a lot of similarities to this story, but we're not sick, actually. We're actually dead, dead to sin. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, so clearly here, we're not just sick, we're beyond that. We are completely dead. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, here we see that we are dead, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Luke 15, 32 reads, But we have to celebrate and rejoice for this, brothers, for, your, for yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Okay, this is how the original state that we are because of sin. We are dead we are completely lost but we are given life and we are found and that's important for us to realize who we were and who we become after we're saved 
by God. Our God also, we can see here, is completely sovereign, in complete control. And just like Jesus displayed complete authority in the miracle that he did, he displays complete authority in our salvation. Colossians 2, 13 reads, When you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your transgressions. Now take a look at this. We were sinners, okay? We were uncircumcised in our flesh. We were dead in our trespasses. Okay? But He, despite this fact, gave us life. Okay? He forgave us our trespasses. We have to realize that the miracle, that just like when Jesus raised up, okay, Peter's mother-in-law, it's the very same way that when we experience salvation, we're completely rebellious. We're not seeking God at all. As we see in Romans, we're not seeking Him. Okay? We don't understand God. We don't, we don't want anything to do with Him. But he's the one who comes and softens our heart. He's the one who rises us back up. But for another illustration, and a really beautiful one, I would say let's take a look at Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones. And read the passage. It's a long passage, but it's so worth it to see because we really see what our salvation looks like. So if you'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, and you look at verses 1 through 14, you'll see what we're talking about. So this passage reads, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many of the, on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. Okay, this is me. He's making it very clear. These are dry bones. There is no bit of life at all in those bones. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? It's a good question. And I answered, O, o Lord God, you know. Also a good answer. Again, he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So here I want us to also remember what the word prophesy actually means here. Yes, prophecies can... Um, uh, relate to seeing something in the future and you're telling you're warning somebody what's going to happen in the future however prophecy is also speaking truth okay so when you're actually preaching the gospel you're, you're prophesying okay so i want us to understand biblical language so we understand what we're talking about here so here god is telling ezekiel prophesy over his bones speak truth to these bones preach to these bones okay thus says the lord god to these bones behold i will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Now this is amazing. Dry bones, completely dead, no life whatsoever. And by the hearing of God's word, those bones start to live. When he breathes into dry bones, they start to live. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. How are we going to know that He is the Lord? Because we will see Him do it a, a miracle that is beyond our belief. That something that was completely dead would become alive. And if we really, really, really look back at our lives, we'll see that we're not, the, we're not the ones who chose Him. We're not the ones who are seeking Him. 
He's the one who sought us. He's the one who softened our hearts. He's the one who put that person in your life to hear the gospel message. He's the one who put you there on that day to hear that gospel message. Whether it was that song that you heard or that sermon that you heard or that passage that you read, whatever it was, he put that into place. He put your parents into place. He put your family, your friends into place. He controls all the situation. He is a sovereign God. And he is the one who softened your heart. And he's the one who was pursuing you as a lost sheep. And he is the good shepherd. He was pursuing you. We'll continue. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them. And flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. It's powerful. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And here again, once we're hearing the word of God, it's, we get this breath, we get life. And this is what it's like when we hear the gospel message, even if it's been the hundredth time that we've heard it, but it finally connects. We finally understand it. We go from being dead, dead as dry bones, to being alive with breath that enters us. Then he said to me, son of, man, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And look at here. Even once they're given life, they have those graves that they have to, that are covering them. He will remove those obstacles too, okay? He removes everything, okay? He gives us life and he gives us away. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. And here is the next part which is beautiful and really ties it again into the salvation illustration. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on my own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord I have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Here, he gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's why we know that once he breathes life into us, okay, we receive the Holy Spirit. And by seeing that, once we receive the Holy Spirit, we realize we're completely transformed. We are a brand new creation. And that's how we know he is Lord. Because there's nothing on this earth, nothing in this world, nothing in this universe that can do that. Once we see that miracle, and that is why we are so convicted. When we see our lives, because we know how, how dead and, and dry bones we are, okay? How we have no life whatsoever. But when He breathes life into us, we are a brand new creation. And it's amazing and it's wonderful and it proves to us who God is. This miracle can also portray Jesus' resurrection and eventually our own resurrection. So we see in first. Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We also see in Romans 6, verses 5 through 6, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Again, just like we were crucified with him, okay? As it says throughout the scripture, the same way we will be resurrected like him again. And that's another illustration that we can see from this amazing miracle. The last part I want to focus on is the response. Verse 31 concludes, and she waited on them. Waited on is translated from the Greek word diakonum. Diakonum means to serve or to minister to. Other English translations will actually render it began to serve. And this is actually the same Greek word that is used when it talks about the angels ministering to Jesus that we see earlier in this chapter in verse 13. More importantly, this is also the same word that Jesus himself uses in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which reads, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus made it very clear. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. Now, if he is our master, if we've surrendered our lives to him, what are we supposed to do? Clearly, we are to serve. And we see a perfect example of this in this miracle. And we see Peter's mother-in-law reacting in the uh, correct way. Once she was healed immediately, she went and served. And I want us to focus that this is really an essential quality of a believer, okay? We must have a heart and a desire for service. And if we don't, that indicates we have some problems, okay? We have to ask ourselves, are, are we really saved? Or are we really in service to him? Is he really our master if we have no desire to serve? Okay, because once he saves us, once we're dry bones and now we have life, we feel so indebted to him. We are in such awe and such joy that we just have this compulsion that we feel that we must serve him. We can't help ourselves but to serve him. This also brings to mind the teachings of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So we have to remember, okay, if we really want to go up into heaven and, and to have rewards that, and to have, okay, we can't be thinking about well, how, how do I get myself in first place on here on earth, you know, and how can I get other people to serve me and all that. No. If you want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, the best way to do that is to make yourself last. Take a look at Jesus. Jesus, our master, God on earth, God in the flesh. What did he do? He washed the feet of his disciples. Okay, and this wasn't just uh, a, a task that was humiliating. Okay, this was even more than that. This was a task that wasn't meant even for a regular servant. It was meant for the servant of servants, the lowest of servants. So here he is, God on earth, taking the role of the servant of the servant, the lowest role you could possibly have, a role that the disciples didn't even want to do. Okay, and he modeled, modeled it for us so that we would know what we had to do. So that has to be on our minds 
all the time when we go and we serve and we ask ourselves, how can I wash this person's feet today? How can I go out there and model service and being a, a servant leader to others? We see that all throughout Scripture, we are called to be servants. Even in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. To keep us focused, okay, in serving, remember all that He's done for you. Okay, when you see a hard task or you see somebody that may be hard to serve, okay, remember what He did for you. And remember who you were before you were saved, okay? How unlovable you were. And think of all the sins you did to Him. Yet He loved you. Focus on the good that He's done to you, and that will help you in your service. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. There I am. There my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's very clear here that in order for us to be followers of Him, we have to serve Him. We have to do His will. And by doing it, the Father will honor us at the end. Okay? You may be last here on earth, but in heaven you will be honored. Romans 7, 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay? We're no longer bound by the law. But we are serving now, okay? in the newness of the Holy Spirit that's, that's in us, okay? That is what we need to do, okay? We need to listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is pointing for us what we need to do, okay? And we have these gifts that are given to us by the Spirit, and we need to use them, not to bury our talents, but instead to share them with the world so that they may know the truth. God chooses to use us to get His message to the world. How amazing is that? How much of a blessing is it that He chooses to use us? Galatians 5.13 reads, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, this is the ultimate act of love. When we're serving, okay? Look at Christ and, and His ultimate act of love. What was it? It was dying on the cross. It was service. We have to keep that. Again, on our minds so we can keep it as our focus. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And when we offer up our bodies in service to Him, that is an act of worship. Okay? That is amazing. And many people before us, can, right now as we're speaking and in the future will continue to lay down their, their bodies, our lives, in service to Him. Okay, Paul even says, look at my body and look at the, the bruises and the scars that I have, okay, that reveals the service that I've had for Him. You hear story after story. Um, there's a Romanian pastor who wrote the book Tortured for Christ. He spent years and years and years being tortured because he stood up to the communist government and said, no, no. This is the truth. The Word of God is the truth, and we will not compromise. We will continue to proclaim the Word of God. And he suffered, and his own family suffered. 
And many times he was going on and they would even lie to him and say, oh, you know, your, your wife and kids are, are dead now. Your wife is dead now. Your, your son has embraced communism. And lie to him just to psychologically mess with him. But he always kept faithful. And even while in prison, okay, other people, he, he, he prayed for them and they converted while they were in prison. Uh, people who would beat him. He would get beaten just for praying. Every time he prayed, he would get beaten. And a person just said to him, because it would happen day after day after day, why do you, what do you have left to pray for? You know, you keep getting beat for, what do you have left to pray for? He turned to the guard and he said, I'm praying for you. That's what we have to do. That's the kind of service that we need to do. Hebrews 6.10 reads, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered, and it still and in still ministering to the saints. Okay? God will not forget your service. Okay? He sees what you're doing. And even the things that nobody else knows that you're doing, He knows. And He will not forget. He is a good, good Father. In Luke's Gospel, it indicates here that Peter's mother-in-law immediately got up to serve. Okay, in Luke 4, 39, it reads, And standing over her, he rebuked a fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. Okay? So this is a reminder to us that this, the time is now. We need to be immediate in our services, okay? It's not like we're driving by and we see a car on the side of the road, and we're like, oh, I don't know if I should help or not. You know, maybe someone else will, will take care of it. No. We are the church. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We know that if Christ was walking past a situation, he would help. And if he's our master and he would do it, who, what are we to do when we're his servants? We're slaves to him. We need to follow in his example. So we must be immediate in what we do. Remember, we are called to be servants. Many years ago, a humble pastor served a church in a little country town. His ministry was quiet, and a few souls were brought to Christ there. Year in and year out, the work became more and more discouraging. It was only years later that the faithful minister found great joy in the knowledge that one of those he had, he had won to Christ was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a man who was later used by God to bring multitudes to his son. How amazing is that? Okay, we have to realize that yes, we may have a reward in the services that we do, but some of it may come about later. Some of it we may not even know about. Okay, the important part for us is that we have to be continually serving. We don't know what may happen in our service. We just have to be faithful and continue serving and do our best not to be discouraged and remember all that he calls us to do. We as believers must remember that we were once lost. We as believers must remember that we were dead, but we are healed. And He calls us by name. And we are called to serve Him. We are called to be His hands. We are called to be His feet. So I hope as we've listened to this message, as we've studied this passage, then we're going to focus and spend a week really focusing on what is God calling you to do? 
What area is he calling you to serve in? What sacrifices must you give in order to follow our God? Know that he will take care of you. He will watch over us. Trust in him. If you're not sure what he's calling you to do, pray earnestly, Lord, what would you like me to do for you, Heavenly Father? Where would you like me to serve? Okay? And he will open that door for you. He will show you what it requires. And a lot of times it does require you to go into someplace uncomfortable. But that's okay because he is there with you. And a lot of times you may not see your award on earth. But again, know that by being faithful to him, you will be honored later on. And sometimes you may even see your awards while you're here on earth. Keep that as your focus as you continue for, for your week. And as always, may this bring this message to all the glory to our mighty and awesome God. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness.